Let's worship the Lord. Sing an old hymn of the church. The hallelujah side. Let's worship the Lord. Father, I pray for every note that is played, song that is sung. 
message that it given. It'll be for the upbuilding and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You take the next few moments and greet those around you in the Lord this evening. God bless you. Continue to worship the Lord. We're going to sing some old praise choruses and songs that you probably know. Let's continue to worship the Lord tonight. Yeah. 
How great thou art. How great is our God. You're the name above all names and worthy of all our praise. Our heart sings how great you are. Father, I pray today that you would visit your people one more time just like you did this morning. Father, we certainly felt your presence in the house in the AM service. God, we stand in this house tonight asking for your touch one more time. We're asking for you to visit your people one more time. Father, I pray that as we get ready to break the bread of life, that you would open eyes, hearts, and ears to hear what thus saith the word of God. 
pray, God, that something that is said either in this morning service or tonight service, in-house or online, would have challenged, chastised, maybe even changed the heart of someone today. Let them grow closer in their journey of faith with you. Father, I thank you and praise you and give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor for what you have done and you're yet still to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray and ask these things. The people of God together said amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. The book of Galatians, chapter number 5. As you're turning there, let me say to you to continue to remember all the prayer requests we brought before this house this morning. So many people out either with sickness or been exposed to sickness uh, like COVID and other things and folks have been exposed to and they are feeling fine but they just didn't want to take a chance with anybody else. So we want to make sure that we uh, lift them up in prayer today as well. A very familiar uh, passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. It's the, if you will, the fruits of the spirit. Starts in verse 22. And then verse 22 and 23 is where we'll focus our attention today. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace long-suffering, or some of your translations may say patience, kindness, or gentleness, meekness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, some translations will say temperance or self-control, against such there is no law, there's nine of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, you could literally spend hours of time dissecting one at a time. What does it mean to have the love, the joy, the peace? You could go through a whole series just on the fruits of the Spirit, and maybe sometime that will be the direction the Spirit of the Lord will allow us to do. But one word struck out to me. I have had the esteemed privilege over the last couple of days to be listening to just some various preachers and teachers of the gospel. I watched an evangelist preach uh, on uh, last Sunday night when I went home from church at Jimmy Swaggart's church. They re-aired the Sunday night broadcast. There was a Church of God evangelist that was there. He was preaching about the Word of God, and I listened to a couple other people's podcasts and things this week just for, you know, self-growth, if you will. And uh, even today, I was streaming at the house just briefly other people's services all the way from Virginia and other places where I have friends that are serving in different places they were celebrating their 90th celebration and the general overseer was preaching there dr tim hill and everyone was celebrating and a couple weeks ago i watched as the blacksburg church of god had a big celebration and had general officials in and the lando church of god celebrated their big hoopapalooza and they had generals in and there was a common theme and we just back in june the end of june celebrated 30 years of ministry and as I was just reading through these texts just for self-growth and just in my daily Bible reading, one word stood out. And, and for the next few moments, I'm just going to preach on one word. I, it's not a creative title. It's not something that you're going to probably go right, go home and tell all your friends, man, you're not going to believe the crazy title the pastor came up with tonight at our church, etc. I just want to talk about faithfulness today. What it just means to be 100% truly faithful to God. See, in order to have 90 years of fruitful ministry at the church in Virginia and 
a hundred years at the Lando Church and I think it was 50 years or something like that at the Blacksburg Church of God. That meant over the years, that church had to be faithful. There were some men and women that stayed the course. They stayed true. For us to have 30 years of active ministry in Berkeley County means some people had to stay the course, stay true. Now, we may not have everybody here that started in the church 30-something years ago. Some of us in this room have been here over 20, maybe even 25, maybe even 30 in those years. But they stayed the course. There'll come a time. There may not even be, if you will, a quote-unquote charter member that's still alive of the original church down the road. But if the church is still going forth, that meant somebody was faithful to keep it going even when others passed on. What does it mean to be faithful? Let's pray together. Eternal Father, I pray today that your spirit would be with us tonight. I pray you would touch me, hide me behind the cross of Calvary, take a coal from the altar of heaven, anoint these lips of clay, that I may decree and declare your word, not mine. Let your word be spoken, not my words be heard. I pray you would help us not only be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. Father, I pray that you would go with us tonight and let our eyes be enlightened to your word, our hearts pricked by your word, and our spirits moved to action because of your word. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Lord, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord. Faithfulness. What a unique, if you will, attribute or trait of the Spirit of God. We know love kind of fits the bill. For 1 John 4, 8 tells us, for God is love. That's the character of God. That is the very essence of who God is. You know, when you talk about joy, that sounds like a pretty good one. Yeah, everybody likes to be happy. They like to... There is a difference between happy and joy, though. Happy is comes from a Latin word that, that literally means happenstance, or you're only happy in the certain situation that you're in. Joy is when you can still have the joy of the Lord. Happy is contingent on your circumstance. Joy is contingent on who you put your trust in. And so you can have joy even when you're not happy. And so joy seems to be something people like peace. We all love peace perfect peace whose minds stay on the Lord he'll give us a peace that surpasses all human understanding long-suffering gets a little touchy for some folks that patient word kind of messes people up a little bit we live in a society where patience is not really a strong character of people anymore they don't like to wait that's why we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars invested every year on the frozen food aisles of Walmart and Harris Teeter and Publix with instant dinner meals that you can have Salisbury steak, green beans, mashed potatoes and gravy, a roll and your dessert in two minutes and 30 seconds and a piece of styrofoam uh, and, a, and a you know cellophane if you will top in two minutes and 30 seconds Uncle Ben's has cooked you a whole meal. We love that because we don't want to wait for three hours and 45 minutes for the real one to be cooked. We've learned to be impatient society. You know, we don't like going to the DMV. Why? We don't like to wait. Going to the DMV is one way to know if you have the fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. Brother Mike's been recently. He said amen. You see, it doesn't matter where you go, which one you go to. It seems like all those government workers work at the same speed. Sloth. I think it's a prerequisite. The only way you can work at the DMV is if you can pass the slowest movement exam 
There is. If you're if anybody else beats you in the exam, they don't get hired. It's the slowest person that gets hired because they take forever. You know, you get that number and it's like D23, and then all of a sudden you hear the lady call D1, and you're like, oh gosh, that means there's 22 more people ahead of me in this line. You see, the reality of it is, we live in a society that faithful or that long suffering is is tough. We like quick meals. We like quick trips to the gas station. We like to get in and out of Walmart. We like to go in, get it, get out. We don't want to wait. I recently, or, or Rand and I recently, we, we normally go once a week-ish. Well, she goes once a week. I go about four times a week to get gas in the car. I'm the, I'm the master of the $20 fill-up. I put 20 in because I ain't feel like waiting for that thing to get to 50 because I'm getting agitated. But two days later, guess what I got to go back and do? Find that $20 fill-up box because that fill-up's now empty, you know. And so, uh, but Brianna, typically, if she gets the opportunity, she goes to BJ's. Uh, we have a BJ's card, and, and uh, she'll go because gas is typically cheaper. But every so often, I'll get my phone to go off. And she'll be on our call, and she'll say, you know, it's Monday or whatever day, and she's got to go to work that night. And she says, this line is ridiculous out here. Everybody came out here to get gas. Do people not work anymore? I thought to myself, aren't you in this line? I don't say it. I just think it. You're in that line too with those people. It's cheaper. She's like, I'm just good mind to get out of here and go to Parker's at Cane Bay. I don't care if it costs me 10 cents more a gallon. I'm tired of waiting. Patience is hard. It's hard. Being married, it teaches you a lot about patience. That's good. One good way to know if you're patient. Get married. Ooh. Boy, this is so good at preaching. I'm getting amens all over the house. My goodness. I just hope those same spouses go home with the same ones that said amen. Amen. But the reality of it is that's a, that's a tough one. Kindness? Yeah, it's 50-50. Goodness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control's hard. Self-control can be difficult when you like bite your tongue so you don't say it, but your tongue dis you know, your tongue engages before your brain engages kind of thing. None of y'all ever had that problem. That's my problem. I didn't get in trouble because I was a bad kid. I got in trouble because I didn't know when to shut up. That was the problem. It was like I've said this before, it was like when my mom or dad would say, I don't want to hear another word, it was like I had an epiphany from heaven that came across my brain. That might change the narrative of this story if I could just share it. I'm just going to let you know, every time I shared it, it didn't change the narrative of the story. It got worse. My epiphanies were bad Mexican foods. I just thought it was a good idea, but it didn't come from God. In fact, the ghost of time got me in more trouble because of my inability. But self-control sometimes can be difficult. One of the ones that was listed, though, was faithfulness. I feel like that's an appropriate one to describe God. Faithfulness is not what we believe, but how we live in response to what we believe. Faith is what you believe in. Faithfulness is how you live in response to what you believe in. You can be faithful at other things than God. Faithfulness is not, even though it's a spiritual discipline or a fruit of the Spirit, most people exhibit a level of faithfulness in their lives, just that everybody exhibits it for the Spirit of God. How many of you go to work every week? Every week, you go to work. How many of you want to call out on Monday every week to go to work? 
How many of you actually follow through every Monday and call out? You know why you don't? Because you're faithful. You know it's the right thing to do to get up and go to work. You don't want to go to work. You want to drink three more cups of coffee and watch Hallmark movies and act like the job doesn't exist. That's called retirement. That's what you're working for. But some of y'all retired and then went back to work, so obviously y'all didn't enjoy retirement too long. Brother Robert out here, I pick on him every Sunday and hope I don't get in trouble. I ask him every Sunday one question. Brother Robert, you still retired? That man has retired so many times, I think they don't even know if his is active or in state anymore. They don't know if he's retired or not anymore, Sandy Cooper. He's went back so many times, come back, went back, retired. I think this is the longest maybe he stayed before he decided he was didn't like retirement so much. Some of y'all retired to go to work, like teaching grandchildren. That's a job. And you don't even get paid good. In fact, you don't get paid at all. <laughs> it's a job, right? Because you're faithful. There, that's, not, that's not necessarily, God, God does not necessarily, your eternal salvation does not hinge on the fact if you go to Santee Cooper every day, while that's a good spiritual discipline, your salvation is not based on if you go to job every week. That's a byproduct of your faithful employee. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because some of your coworkers may watch, but how many of you also work in jobs and not everybody has the same faithfulness you do? Don't raise your hand. Because you've got some people that call out every Monday. <laughs> well, they seem to get a whole lot more vacations than what the handbook says. Hello, preacher. Right? Happens. You see... It is a quality that God admires. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's in the Word of God. Proverbs 25 and 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like having a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. Has anybody ever had to have a root canal? Some of y'all are hurting right now when you heard the root canal word. That thing's been fixed, but you have a psychosis in your brain that's called phantom pain. You started feeling that tooth that ain't even hurting anymore because I said root canal. Because ain't nothing worse, it seems like. I've not had one, but I've heard people describe it. I've had some dental work, but not a root canal. I've heard some people talk about that is a painful thing. How many has ever had any kind of dental procedure and you've got what was called a dry socket in that tooth? Boy, you'll think that you're ready to punch that dentist through the chair when you see him again. And it's not lay hands on no man suddenly. You want him to know you laid hands on him. Right? But the Bible says that if you put your confidence in an unfaithful man in times of trouble, it's like having a bad tooth or a foot that's out of joint. Now, I've twisted my ankle playing sports many times. That hurts. I'm not, I'm not broken my foot, but I have twisted it to the point that it had to be bandaged and it had to be, if you will, taped up pretty good. And even with all the tape and bandages, sometimes it was just, it was just hard to put weight on it. It wasn't broken. It was just severely sprained or, or twisted, but it, it hurt bad enough that it almost felt like it was broken. A couple months ago, about six months ago, you were here back then, and remember, about Six weeks, I walked with a limp. Because one particular night, my lovely wife had decided that we needed to clean our house. 
we were doing some bedroom furniture exchange. And apparently I did not get at 3 o'clock in the morning the, the notion that the, that the bedroom furniture had been swapped around a lot. And so we had moved some furniture out into the hallway and out of our bedroom and for all the new furniture. And I went to get a drink of water out of the refrigerator and I came back. And I don't remember exactly what time it was. It was later in the night, or wee hours in the morning, somewhere in that window. And I come flying around the couch. And I, I had been living in that house for over two years. And I knew there never was a piece of furniture there, so I didn't have to worry about it. Except this night, in the dark, furniture existed that never was there before. Not my big old fat toe, you know, the one that's got extra lipids in it. That ain't the one that found it. That fat joker that hangs out the furthest out of my foot somehow avoided that furniture. What didn't avoid the furniture was the midget digit. Anybody got those little, we call, I call it the midget digit. It's that pinky toe. That sucker should be protected by the other four rows, but somehow that's the one that always finds stuff. How is that possible? I don't know. But I went flying around, and that little midget digit hit the side of that dresser I knew right then my life was forever changed. That thing turned black and blue. I walked with a limp for weeks. Putting shoes on hurt. But the writer of Proverbs said, when you put your confidence in people that are unfaithful, it is like having the naggingness of a painful tooth or a foot that's just constantly aching at you. It never will give you relief. That's what unfaithfulness is like. You see, the Bible gives us instructions, and I believe it is easy to see that if we are not people of dependability, we are also people of little use. God doesn't need people to not be faithful. In fact, if we can't be faithful to the things of God, God doesn't need us. God didn't need us to start with, by the way. God could do this all on his own. He chose to let us be a part of the journey. He didn't need us. But because he allowed us to be a part of the journey, faithfulness is a part of the qualifications. If we're not to be faithful to God, God doesn't need us for his kingdom work. So there was a couple things I started thinking about. One of the things I thought about is, what is faithfulness? What are the marks? What are the monikers? What are the, what are the things that you should be faithful in? You know, it's easy to say jobs. It's easy to say sports. It's easy to say schoolwork. It's easy to... But what are some really telltale signs of a person that's truly faithful? There's a couple things you're going to notice about some folks. One of the things is, is God called us to be faithful to our families. He called us to be faithful to the family. If we're not faithful at home, we won't be faithful anywhere else. Because what you live in the dark will come to light in the open. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said that things you do in secret will be revealed openly. The things you think you have hidden in the closet one day will come to light. The true character of a man or a woman is not how they look when five million people are standing around them. It's what they're doing at night at home or what they're doing with their spouse or what they're doing when, when no one else is looking because over time it will slip out into the open and be made known. We should be faithful to our spouses morally and physically. We should not have adultery or not only physical but emotional and things like that. There are people that commit adultery on their spouses, not just physically. They, they commit adultery emotional, inappropriate conversations, 
people that are married to their jobs, people that are married to their careers, people that are married to sports, and nothing else matters, that the whole world stops. You know, I, I have met people in all my life, in my lifetime, that the husband and wife divorced, not because he cheated on her with a woman, he cheated on her with his job, he never was home. Every time he would come home, he was always answering the phone. He's always having to reply to an email. He never left it at the office. And over time, a wedge, or if you will, a divide, began, began to happen. And he'd come home, and he would always be working, and she would try to talk to him, and he would be like, well, i, I got to get this, and I'm, I'm working for this promotion, and I'm doing that. And he would always be worried about his job. And over time, one day, that particular couple split, and they divorced. And I remember him saying one time, to me, he said, I don't know how this happened. I thought we were doing great. I mean, we never fought. We never had a minced word. Kids were doing good. Everybody was doing good. I, I didn't even know this was happening. Well, how did this happen? We never even fought. And the more that we began to talk and discuss and delve into the matter, and the more that his wife began to talk and, and, and delve into the matter, what had happened was there was a reason they weren't fighting. There was a reason they weren't talking. He was not available. He was home. He was not really there. And so sometimes we can be, if you will, unfaithful to our spouses and our children by putting everything else above them, not even just physical things like adultery, but we can put our jobs and other things above them to the point that it causes devastation to the home, the family. God also required us to be faithful in finances. Luke 16, verse 10 says this, He who is faithful in what is the least is faithful in the much. He who is unjust in the least is also unjust in the much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches of heaven? And if you have not been found faithful with what belongs to another man, who will give you what is your own? What Jesus was saying is simply this. You can't be faithful with the small things. You expect me to let you be over a lot more things? I'm not going to trust you with that. You know, we could often ask the question, what would you do for a million dollars? Or what would you do if you had a million dollars? And I guarantee if I pose that question to everyone tonight, what would you do if I gave you a million dollars? The mass majority of you in here probably have an answer. Probably do. In fact, if I were to pose to a five, six, seven-year-old little boy or girl, you got one million dollars. What would be the first thing you'd do? They're probably not buying a car because they can't drive. They're probably not buying a corporation to be a millionaire for the rest of their lives. They're probably not going to tithe and give to the church, whether it is they haven't learned that principle yet or they just don't understand the concept. Probably for a five to six, seven-year-old little boy or girl, you give them a million dollars, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go buy ice cream. They're going to go buy something that you go, what? Because to them, that is something you can't buy because they're broke. And that seems exciting that they have money. 
The reality of the fact is, I was talking to Madison earlier before church tonight, and she was talking about her jobs, and I said, well, you know, she said, today was kind of one of those blah days, and I said, well, at least it's money. She said, I ain't got money, I'm broke. I said, that's why you work. You'll be even broker if you don't work. I know that's not proper English, but that's what I said. You'll even be more broke. The reality it is, you give a teenager a million dollars, they get a nice car. Riley's fixing her truck for number one until it runs. Then she's going to go buy some hunting gear, probably invest in some kind of dog that's more expensive than my house payment. And they're going to run the woods. She's going to have a gun. She's going to, you know, get her nails done. She's going to have her hair fixed. She's going to, I mean, they're going to do that. You give me a million dollars, I'm paying off my house. See the difference? For a teenager, I'm getting my hair done, my nails done, because my daddy can pay the house payment. Unfortunately, in my life right now, my daddy doesn't pay my house payment, so I win a million dollars, I'm paying off the house. That's what I'm doing. Brianna has to fix her own hair and just get over it. We're paying off the house. That's what we're doing. You see, we all have that opportunity with finances. What would we do? You give a million dollars to a senior adult, they're going to be wise. They're going to invest it. They're either going to save it. They're going to put it in a, some kind of stock or CD to collect interest. They're going to put it in a Janus or a Vanguard or some kind of uh, uh, credential or some kind of investment firm so that they can leave something for their children and their grandchildren. They're probably not going out and buying a plane. Number one, because blood clots happen in the sky and they don't want to die in the sky. They already are on aspirin for blood thinner. They certainly don't want to come complicate things. They're probably not buying a boat because half of them can't swim. So they're not buying that, so they're going to invest it. You give that million dollars to a middle-aged person, they might buy a boat or they might do like me and pay off the house. So for every season of life, you can hand that person a million dollars, but how they handle it would be different. What Jesus was telling them is, is, is if I give you little things and you can't be faithful with little things, why do you think I will trust you with a lot more? Why would I do that? If you knew that you gave Jim Bob $20, every time Jim Bob took that $20 and he was wasting his life away with it, buying alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, and all kinds of pedophilia and, 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 and paraphernalia, how often were you going to keep giving him $20? Not that much. It's amazing, Brantley answered that question. He don't even have $20 to give the man to start with, but Brandon would be the one giving that $20. But the reality is this. If you knew he did that with $20, you're going to give him 200 next time? No. Why? Because if he did that with $20, what will he do with 200 Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, if I can't trust you with the small things, why do you think I'm going to trust you with larger things if you can't be faithful with small things? On the first day, 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of the week, let each one of us lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. What the Apostle Paul was telling the church at Corinth on the first day of the week, the day of church, bring an offering unto the Lord. Show God you mean business. Show God you care. Not only are you to be faithful to your finances, but you also, the Bible calls us to be faithful to our friends. Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend is someone who multiplies joy and divides sorrow. Someone who listens to you in your silence. Someone who comes in when the world walks out. That's faithful. 
God also told us to be faithful in fellowship. Fellowship in what? In being together. Romans 12, 5, so that we may, being many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another, meaning we all are different, but we're all one together. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching, meaning we're supposed to be in this thing together, faithful together. It has been said that one doesn't have to go to church to be a Christian. That technically is true. But I would surmise that the Christian, or the Christianity, I guess you could say, the Christianity of one's life who neglects going to church could oftentimes be in question. I'm not saying three times a week. I'm saying in general. You've got all these people that are out there that said, I'm, I, you know, I don't have to go to church to be saved. That's true, technically. But if you are saved, then you have to believe the B-I-B-L-E from cover to cover. You have to believe every word of God's word says. God said we're supposed to come together sometimes one with another. So for the ones that argue, I don't have to go to church to be saved, I would also say I'm, I'm a little, little bit concerned about their Christianity status, not because they're sick. I'm talking about the ones who could come to church because Jesus made it clear, don't forsake coming together. That's his word. You see, we also are called to be faithful in our faith. In our faith. You see, some of us, we don't realize that we're one generation away from paganism. Joshua and the children of Israel have seen the promised land. They've walked in it. They've collected grapes in it. They have found this land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua dies. If you read in your Bible, you go from Deuteronomy, Joshua. Next book in the Bible is a book called Judges. Joshua was the generation that lived under Moses that saw Red Seas part. Joshua was the one to get them through to Canaan, into the promised land. But when Joshua dies, there's a problem. The Bible says there rose now a generation that knew not the Lord, nor his mighty acts. What happened? Somebody dropped the ball in faithfulness. Somebody along the way was living off the coattails of Pastor Josh. But when Pastor Josh retired and hung up the cloak and the clerical garments, somebody else didn't pick up teaching Jesus. And when Pastor Josh wasn't preaching every Sunday and decided to call it quit, somebody else didn't step up to the plate and said, I'll be the next one in line. Moses passed it to Joshua. But when it came time for Joshua to pass it on, there was no one found to pass it. Joshua dies, and the next generation, one generation next, rose up who didn't know who God was. It's one generation away. William Booth, who happens to be the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. And this was in the 20th century. The 20th century is in danger that we produce salvation without regeneration, heaven without hell, and a crown without a cross. What William Booth was saying all the way back in the 20th century is 
we are compromising the very essence of God's word. We're promising salvation and heaven and crowns. We're not telling people that it comes through a regenerate heart. There's a hell to shun and there's a cross to bear too on this journey. We also see though that there are some met, if you would, some some motivations of faithfulness. What is our motivation? Well, our motivation of faithfulness should be because God was faithful to us. How do you say that? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has take, overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. Listen to the words. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with that temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But the key word is, but God is faithful. You will face temptation. Yes. You will walk through dark days. Yes. You will have trying times. Yes. Your life won't always be a bed of roses. Yes. But God is faithful. God is faithful in the good. God is faithful in the bad. God is faithful on the mountain. God is faithful in the valley. God is faithful in the wins. God is faithful in the losses. I always love when I watch sports. I love watching the post-game interviews. You see these guys dejected. When they win, man, they're talking about they're the best team. When they lose, they're blaming this person and that person. But ever so often, you'll get one or two guys that'll get into that room. And they'll sit down, win or lose, with the same demeanor. You know why they can be that way? Because they've been in both places. They've been on the winning teams. They've been on the losing teams. They know both sides of the coin. And you hear those guys in the wind say, it was great to get that win today. There's a lot of things we could clean up and do better. There's some things we didn't do right. And the losses, they'll get on the thing and say, well, it's not the outcome we were hoping for. But you know what? We've, we, there are some pauses out there. There's some things we can build on. There's some things we can get better at and probably next time do a better job and be have a chance to win. What are they doing? They're, they're remaining even killed. The reality of it is that's the God we serve. God doesn't get frazzled by the highs and the lows of our lives. He stays and remains the same. Up, down, left, right, front, back, God stays the same. We might be on cloud nine or we might be in the doldrums of life. We might be the joy of the Lord. We might be manic depressed. We might be all over the page emotionally, but God is the same faithful that's our motivation for faithfulness but quickly there are some methods of faithfulness there's some things that we should be faithful not just in in terms of if you will the the marks of faithfulness but some of the methods some of the methods of things is we should be faithful in small things Zechariah 4 and 10 for who has despised the day of small things Luke 19 17 well done, good servant, because you were faithful in the very little, you'll have authority over ten cities. That's a pretty big promotion. That's a pretty good day at the job. You see, it's faithfulness. The Bible tells us we also should be faithful in secret things. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit can conceal a matter. Proverbs 25, 9 and 10, debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it exposes your shame and your reputation is ruined. 
secret things. God also requires, thinks, believes, according to the Word of God, I believe that we also should be, if you will, not only in the small things, not only in the secret things, but there's a level of times that we should be faithful in sacred things. That's the things of God. 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also of these things. Revelation 2 and 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's sacred things. Matthew 25 and 23 says it like this. Be faithful in all things, and someday when you stand before God, you can hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things, and enter into the joy of your Lord. Sacred things. See, faithfulness, we all exhibit faithfulness in our lives. You're faithful to your job. You're faithful, most of you in this room, probably I surmise, is faithful to your family. Some of you in here probably are really good friends to people. You have good friends. You're faithful to your friends. You would drop anything you could right now. If your friend called, you'd go. You have those people in your life. You're faithful to your children. You'd do anything for them. You're faithful... Many things. And the most important thing we can do is be faithful to God. That's the most important thing we can do. One day you'll get old and decrepit and can't work. You know what your job's going to do? Move on without you. That's what they're going to do. You can drop dead in your chair. You know what they're going to do? Call the funeral home, wheel you out, buy a new chair at Office Max, and two days later start interviews for that same dead chair. That's good preaching. Some folks feel like the job's going to die if they die. I just want to let them know, no, you're going to die. The job's going to kill you, and then they're going to find somebody to put in the chair to kill them too. Sometimes those chairs as you sit in in the office, they're the electric chairs of death. Not the real ones, but they're metaphorical. They will let you die for the company, and then guess what? Move on without you when you're dead. That's why they tell us at all these growth seminars, conferences, preachers, conventions, you know, they bring in the John Maxwells, the Mark Butlins, all these leadership gurus. And thank God for them. Don't get me wrong. They bring all these big wigs in, and they say the same thing. The ministry will kill you, and people will let it kill you if you don't know when to stop letting it kill you. I read a sign one time said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. It was a typo, but it had a lot of foundational truth to that. It was supposed to just say, don't let worry kill you. And the idea was the church will help you carry it. But the way the punctuation read it, it actually said, with the right punctuation, the wrong punctuation, it made it look like, don't let worry kill you, let us help you. We'll kill you. And reality, sometimes that is true. You know how many, the Barna statistics says it all the time, how many ministers of the gospel burn out, flame out, whatever word you want to use. It's not because they don't love preaching. It's not that they don't love visiting. But it's the stressors of the job. You work in, I remember when my mom worked at the hospital, in the hospital, uh, in her directorship chair, 
one of our friends used to always tell the time, sometimes, Mel, you got to pick it first, you got to walk out, because if you drop dead on the floor, they're going to walk over your dead body while you're still warm, and they're going to be already conducting interviews for your office. That's true in life. People will move on. And I'm not saying don't, I'm not telling everybody that's still working, go quit your job tomorrow, because, you know, they'll die without you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, though, that while you're faithful, some people are so faithful to their jobs, they're willing to die for their jobs, they're willing to die for their extra their friends, they're willing to die for sports, they're willing to die for whatever it is that's passionate, they're willing to do all they can, well, if they will do that much for their job that is of, of no eternal value and is materialistic, they should have that same desire to be that faithful to the things of God. We should be willing to be so faithful to God, we're willing to die for Him, because the reality is, if you die at the office, giving all you've got and losing, using all your good years of health and energy and well-being and end up retiring old, decrepit, and can't do anything, and you basically killed yourself by working that job, when you die, you don't get much. Even the good severance package ain't worth much if you can't use it for fun. But to die for Jesus is a gain. That's what the Bible says. To live for Jesus is great, but to die. If I'm faithful to Jesus till death, it's to my benefit. I get a better severance package dead than I do alive. Right now, I live in a 3,100-square-foot house in Cane Bay with HOAs that make no sense. I can't even understand what they're talking about in these articles. I don't think they know what they're talking about. They just had some Cracker Jack write them. When I go to heaven, I live in a mansion. It's way much more than my house in Decatur. And God doesn't charge HOA fees. That's heaven right there. I don't have to pay dues. You know why? Because Jesus already paid the fee. He already paid the homeowners association fee. He already bought the house. You know when I get to heaven, Lee, I don't have a mortgage payment. That's heaven. I have a house I can't afford in heaven, but I don't have to pay for it either. That's nice. Anytime somebody says something's free, I don't care who's paying for it. If it ain't out of my pocket, I'm going to that place. I like free. You tell me, I'm a sucker for, for financing. You tell me. Oh, you can buy this for 24 months, interest-free. We ain't going to make a payment. I'm not giving you all $2,000 on day one. I'm glad to make payments $100 a month, interest-free. You know why? Because that's just free. I got $2,000 to pay, but I'm going to let you get stuck with all this stuff. I'm just going to let your money get tied up, not mine. It's free. Free for free, free, free. I love free stuff. Now, I know free costs somebody something. Let's go. Let's make your way. I know free costs somebody something. For me to have a free house... And a free home in heaven, it cost Jesus his life. It did cost him something for me to have freedom. But if, I, if I'm so faithful like I am to my jobs and my careers, if I'm willing to die for the things of this world that have no eternal value and just pour all my energies and channel all my energies for the things of this world, if I put that same amount of energy to the things of God, it's to my benefit down the road. Because what I invest in God comes back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When I invest it in God, it has a better rate of return than anything I can put on this side of heaven. God's CDs, God's interest rate far outweighs and supersedes the local banks here in town. Whatever I give to Him by far the rate of return is astronomically better when I get it back than what I committed to him. I give him my sin. 
he gives me his righteousness. I give him my broken heart, he gives me a mended spirit. Because a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. I give him my flaws, he gives me his faithfulness, his righteousness. I give him my habits, my hang-ups, my addictions, and he gives me robes of righteousness and streets of gold. I give him my cracked up, messed up life, and he gives me an estate like no other. That's a pretty good trade-off for me. It cost him a lot, but that's a good deal for me. And that deal is for you too. We're called to be faithful in our giving. We're called to be faithful in our church attendance. We're called to be faithful to the Word of God, our faith. We're called to be faithful to our families, to our friends. The number one person and the number one thing you should be faithful to is to God. God. Because if you're faithful to God, you'll be faithful to your family. If you're faithful to God, you'll be faithful in your giving because God's Spirit will guide you. If you're faithful to God, you will be able to be faithful to your friends and your co-workers and so on and so forth because it will be a trickle-down effect of the faithfulness of God. See, faithfulness is not what you believe. It's your response to how you live in response to what you believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, what you believe. Faithfulness is how you live in response to what you believe. If you don't think God's real, you'll be faithful to everything else but God. But if you love God, you'll be faithful to God and everything else will fall by the wayside. That's faithfulness. So my challenge to us today as we get ready to pray is this. I saw all these churches and other people having their big celebrations and I've read an article earlier this week about a, a lady who was 103 years old. She still sings in her church choir every Sunday morning at 103. I'm thinking, by God, Lee, if I'm 103 years old, I just hope I can get to church. Much less want to sing. I don't know if she can sing good or not, but the fact that she can remember the words is impressive. Maybe they got screens. I don't know. But if you're still singing in your church choir at 103, you got my vote for kudos. You got my vote. I'm just trying to get to church at 103 and remember where I'm going and trying to remember how to get there. She still sings faithful in her church choir. She's been singing in her church choir for 74 years. She's been singing in her church choir as long as most of us in this room have been alive. She's been singing. I thought to myself, gosh, if she just started singing when she was like 10 years old, she'd been say she could have been singing in the choir for 90 years. That's pretty cool. 74 years. 74 years of nothing else but going to church every Sunday morning to put on a robe and sing in a choir. She's so old now, she can't stand up in the choir. Obviously, if you're 103 years old, they should give you a special seat in the choir. It should be gold-plated. Brother James, what they do is they have a seat in the choir loft that's big, right behind the podium. You can see her. They've made a section that's open. They wheel her in this wheelchair, but guess what? Sister, I don't even remember her name. She's in her full robe. In a wheelchair, she can't stand, but she still comes to church every Sunday morning. She sings in that choir. I don't know if she even sings on pitch. Who cares? At that point, I don't care about the pitch anymore. That's faithfulness. Somebody asked her, why do you still keep doing that at your age? You know, her response was, 
because I'm not dead. So he's not done with me yet. She quoted the scripture, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. She's a little African-American lady, and she said, and if he ain't taking my breath, I ain't stopping praying, praising. So next Sunday morning, y'all come on back now. I'm going to be in this choir singing. Should the Lord let me stay? I don't know if she sang today or not because I ain't followed the article or called her a preacher. But as of when this article was written a couple weeks ago, she was in the choir. That's faithfulness. You got people who won't even come to church, period, must last 174 years in the choir. See, what I'm telling you is when we're faithful to the things of God, it'll draw us to do the right things because God's in us. So let us be, I think it was Michael W. Smith. Actually, no, I'm sorry, it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. Curtis Chapman wrote a song, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song, and uh, or he was involved. He didn't write the whole song. Him and along with some other guys wrote it together. But the tagline of the song said, Let all who come behind us find us faithful. That was the tagline. Very popular song. People had sang it, sang it for years. But the idea was it doesn't matter, but whoever falls behind us, let them be able to say, we were faithful. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our families and our communities. Lord, whoever comes behind us, let us not be like Joshua, have generations who don't know you. But Lord, all those that come behind us, let them find us to be faithful to you. That's my ministry. Let's pray. Eternal Father, to the best of my ability, I've tried to preach your word to your people today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Well, as we get ready to leave this place and go to our resting place for the weekend, the rest of our week to start, let us remember to be faithful to the things of you. Let us remember to commit those things into your care. Remain steady, immovable, steadfast, always abiding in the love. Always dependable and available to the kingdom. Father, I pray a blessing over families, every man, woman, boy, girl in this house. Let them be faithful ambassadors and kingdom-minded men and women of faith. Lord, keep them safe on their journey this week. Many of them carry heavy burdens. But Lord, you're the burden bearer and the heavy load sharer. Walk with them in this day and hour as they're on this journey together. Father, may the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and blessed Redeemer. May you bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts as you come again. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. And the people of God together said amen. And before Brother Randy is going to pray our benedictory prayer, um, Brianna, will you come here just for a second? I do want to make one quick announcement, uh, and then we're going to be dismissed in prayer. Don't well, Quickly, let me just say, don't get leadership training on Saturday those things this week. If you haven't picked up a calendar, a church calendar of the months of the month of September's events, please pick one up at the Connection Center uh, as well and all of those forums. But tomorrow is this beautiful lady's birthday tomorrow. She is having a birthday tomorrow. She's been sick for the last couple of weeks battling all this stuff with lumbar punctures and everything else, but hopefully she's on the mend. We think she's on the mend, but she, she turns 42 tomorrow a little bit older than I am. I know I look older, and uh, but she's a little bit older than me. 
No, not, not really. She's 62 in dyslexic years. Um, that's 26 for the right people who don't have dyslexia. She's 26 tomorrow. In dyslexic years, I'm 53, so I'm going to just stay at 35. Dyslexia don't help me at all, so I'm not even going to try to flip my numbers around. Brother Randy would be 27. Brother Randy's 27 if you flip his numbers around. So, but anyway, tomorrow is her birthday. Some of you have already, uh, a few of you this morning gave her a card, um, and I gave them to her. So if you ask after church, I don't have those cards. So don't, act. I already told her when I walked in the door, she walked in the door this afternoon, I handed her the card that said, take these, because if somebody asked, I don't want to be responsible, you didn't get these. So I don't know what you said, what you wrote in those cards, but she has your cards, and, and uh, I'm sure she'll be, uh, uh, be glad to, to tell you thank you when you go through the doors today. But... I do want to sing her happy birthday. I don't know what key we normally do it in. It really, what key are we in? Yeah, that's great. Brother Randy, you sound great. Just go ahead and let's stand all over and sing it together. Say to you. Since all of you are faithful church people and you have heard this message today and you are faithful men and women, tomorrow morning, please call me in the morning and make sure I'm still alive because I've embarrassed her. So there's a strong chance I'll have a trach or some kind of surgical procedure in the night. So be faithful in checking on your pastor tomorrow to see if I'm still alive now that she's been brought up here. But I did want to make sure that I acknowledged her birthday uh, that's coming up tomorrow. So please, if you get a chance on your way out, wish her a her early happy birthday please do not text us at 12 a.m tonight and say happy birthday wait till in the morning because i want to go to sleep tonight so we'll i've got a six-year-old to get to school in the morning so but thank you i'm gonna ask brother randy if he would close us in our benedictory prayer immediately following your dismiss god bless you today